Broadcasting live from the orbiting underground moon base, it's the Lurcast. Thank you so much for taking up that role, since I'm unable to do so uh, this week. I don't even week, know what the riff is from. Uh, uh, we have me, I'm Kathleen, and joining me is Alex. Hi! And Cameron. Hello. So, and uh, last week, uh, they talked about services they subscribe to, but this week, we're going to talk about food. Chow. Chow. Because everybody loves food. Gosh. Uh, favorite food, go-to recipes, traditions... All of that good kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Cam, Alex, did your parents ever teach you how to make any food that you still make to this day? No. No? No. My dad was very adamant that um, cooking was something that, had, that he taught himself. Huh. So, you had to teach yourself? Yeah, he didn't know how to teach it, I guess. Interesting. Well, uh, It was improvisational. I mean, to a certain extent... I would say that when you get to be a really good cook, I'd say, yeah, that it is improvisational. Like, when, you know, you're tasting something and you're like, it needs more salt. But it's not like you're like, oh, I'm tasting the soup and it needs exactly a quarter of a teaspoon more salt. Yeah, I I feel as though, like, high-end cooking in some ways, like, is the kind of cooking that pisses off people that need exact measurements and stuff because it's like oh it's a dash of this and a you know a little Mm. bit a smidge of that and it's like how much it's like well i I actually don't don't have an answer for you because i I never measure anything well and the thing is like once you cook a lot you don't necessarily need measurements like i know recipes that i've made my you know since i've been cooking stuff like chicken ala king i don't need to measure out how much uh, roux I need to make and how much milk I need to add to the roux. I just kind of eyeball it and it always turns out fine. But I've made that recipe probably a hundred times. So there is something to that. But that's also bullshit because you can't learn that unless you follow recipes and learn how to cook. Well, I, I was listening to CBC a few years ago and they were doing an interview with a woman who was archiving recipes from basically prairie housewives mm. uh, oh, in yeah. the 19th century. And 19th and early 20th century and she said that like their recipes would basically just be a list of ingredients and like secret tech ingredients right you don't use this brand of flour you use this kind of flour but it had no quantities and Mm -hmm. it had no instructions because Hmm. that was common knowledge yeah you know how to make a cake yeah Yeah, you make a cake using this stuff yeah and that was that was the recipe it was just a list of like either or in some cases just the substitutions Mm. Ah. interesting yeah i feel like once you get to like sort of god tier level cookery that you definitely don't need quantities and like i i mean unless it's like some sort of thing well unless you're baking yeah there you go don't do that when you bake that just leads to disasters baking is like chemistry cooking is kind of like witchcraft as in there's a cauldron and you throw stuff into it but i mean like well baking you create a batter or a pastry Mm -hmm. and it goes in in one event whereas when you're cooking if you're making a soup you can make dynamic adjustments to it exactly you know you taste it and you're like this flavor is too rich or ooh, this Mm. is too dominant i need to cut it with something else you dial it in whereas like baking you get it right or it's fucked Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and plus, like, the ratios for baking, like, you know, are you need certain amounts of stuff 
to make the chemical reactions to make it rise, which is why you can't be like, oh, I want to make vegan cookies so or <laughs> vegan cake, so I'm just not going to have any egg in this. And uh, the thing is, you can't just cut the egg out of cake because the egg is what makes it rise. Like, that's a very basic thing. Uh, that's why a lot of vegan cake recipes have vinegar and baking soda really? because they uh, do the same effect. Um, you can't just substitute like egg for like applesauce because there's a liquid component, but there you also still need that chemical reaction of the egg rising and, and binding and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of little things. Chemistry, artistry, food together. Together. So Cam, you did, but you are a, you know how to cook. You're a fine cook. You've taught yourself how to cook a little bit over the years. Mm-hmm. I've had food you've made and it's been really good. You made fantastic mac and cheese up at the cabin. I have heard rumors of this mac and cheese. It was really, really rich. Yeah. Well, it's macaroni and cheese. So you have it like once every six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I kind of, well, also macaroni and cheese is a very, very basic recipe. Right, mm-hmm. you make a roux. You add uh, cream. You add milk, or you 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 add cream. You add cheese. You pour it over macaroni. You bake it, mm-hmm. and it's done. Well, it's really simple, and yet there there's a lot of room for, I mean, adjustments and you know variations on it. You know, it's like you mm-hmm. can do you do you bake it or do you not bake it? Do you put a crust on top? Do you not? What kind of cheese do you use? What kind of noodles do you use? Right, right, right. So yeah, there's there, there's lots of micro adjustments to be made. Um, but the general recipe is yeah, kind it's of. the same. There, there, there's an armature that you hang things off. Of, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, right? the cheese armature, or a, a flavor armature, or I, I don't know what you would call it. Um, yeah, the the, the base the basic structure of the, the foundation recipe is carbohydrates of, and a roux. Well, mm-hmm. I guess it's a bechamel sauce technically. Yes. Yeah, I came by and I was like, because uh, you were like busy and working and stuff. I'm like, do you? And I was like, do you want any help? And you're like, well, I just have to make the roux. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're making a roux, you already kind of know what you're doing, so I'm going to leave you alone then. Uh, well, no, but, like, the thing is, like, I have seen people who think that to make macaroni and cheese, you just melt cheese onto macaroni. Yeah, that, oh, God. For the benefit of the viewers, what's a roux? Oh, this, a roux is... Actually, this was do you want to do it? This was a trivia question at my uh, at my uh, quiz last night. I'm it was around on food. with the idea. Uh, a roux is a, tr- is a base... For uh, uh, sauces and stews and gravies, it's primarily used in European cuisine, mm-hmm. and it's basically you cook together wheat flour and fat, and it doesn't. It is traditionally butter. You can use margarine if that's your thing, and you're trying to save money or calories. Margarine's not necessarily better for you than butter. Uh, you can use uh, bacon fat. They use bacon fat in a lot of Cajun cuisine, uh, and uh, basically what you're trying to do is you cook these two things together, and then you. How long do you cook it for? It depends what you're using it for. You can do a roux in a variety of um, colors. And the longer you cook it, the darker it will get and the less thickening power it will have. So that's something you have to note um, because you're sort of cooking the starch out a little bit. But here's the deal. You do have to cook it for at least... I say anywhere, I say at least 30 seconds because you need to get the flour flavor out of there because yes. otherwise it will be floury. But anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute is what you want to do if you're making sort of a traditional cheese sauce yeah. or a bechamel. And you, and you it's a French word, it. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. R-O-U-X. Yeah, R-O-U-X. Mm-hmm. And like basically it's equal parts fat and flour and then that combination, one, te- one teaspoon fat or one tablespoon butter, one tablespoon flour will thicken quite handily a cup of milk mm-hmm. um, into a bechamel mm-hmm. now the of course if you are wanting to make a darker sauce with your roux like not a bechamel you'll want to cook your roux longer so it has like a richer less floury flavor in that case your ratios will change mm-hmm. anyhow most 
recipes that are sort of easy to approach will call for a light roux. Uh, and uh, yeah, so yeah. one to one to one. One cup of liquid will be thickened by one teaspoon or tablespoon butter, one tablespoon flour, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Uh, when I make it, I eyeball it. Because, like I said, I've been making it for so long, I know basically how much roux I need to make. Hmm. So, anyhow. There you go. This morning, I was cooking on the other side of the world. Oh. I was using a recipe that, that Beach taught me that I have fallen very much in love with, uh, is Oyakodon. Mm. It is so great, and I love That's it. That's chicken and egg don. Yeah, it, it's weird, because I ordinarily, I don't get you along with eggs. eggs. I fucking hate eggs, except for a couple... Of dishes, it's weird. I'm trying to figure out what it is. I think it's, I think it's like a no context egg that I can't deal with. Just here's an egg. Like here's an egg. It's like this is like chewing a fart. You know, that's how it, that's how I feel about it. Mm. <laughs> but if it's incorporated into something, like there's egg in the um, uh, the pad thai that I had just now, um, and there's egg in there's uh, egg in like fried rice. And yeah, stuff oyakodon like is, is basically a chicken omelet on rice. With a delicious sauce. A delicious sauce that's really simple, but there is a secret ingredient. All right, well, spill the recipe. Spill the beans. You've teased this enough. How do you make this? Okay, well, I start. you start with um, uh, cooking up some onions. Mm-hmm. Like, just chop them up and then do that until they're a little bit browned and kind of uh, transparent. And then you add equal parts of mirin and soy sauce. Mm-hmm. And I use the low sodium soy sauce. Can you sauce. explain what mirin is for people who might not be familiar with it? It's rice wine, isn't it? No. I don't actually know what it is. <laughs> is isn't it rice vinegar? It's like a rice vinegar thing. So but I guess it's technically but, rice wine, but it's not alcoholic. It's sweet, though. Yeah. I don't it's, think it's vinegar. It's Well, it's got a vinegar base in it, but it's sweetened. Anyhow, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a it's a cornerstone of Japanese cuisine. You can get it in any kind of Asian market. Which uh, brings us to the, the next ingredient. You... You have that all simmering, and then... So you put the mirin and the, the soy, soy sauce, sauce in with the onion. Yeah. So it's like onion, soy sauce, mirin, soup. Yep. How much mirin and soy sauce do you put in? Like a teaspoon or a lot? Uh, I put in a decent amount. I'd like say a quarter more, cup? Maybe quarter cup. And that's for like a whole onion? Something like that, yeah. I'm t- I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm using... I use like half an onion. Half an onion. Because I like onion. And so like a quarter cup of mirin and a quarter cup of soy sauce? Yeah, I... I don't think I measure anything for this recipe. Okay. Which is maybe a third cup then. I mean, like half like a cup that. is a lot. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of total of liquid each. at the top. Total like how much, how much liquid do you end up with? Uh, I mean, it's flat, so it's hard to judge. Maybe half a cup, maybe three quarters of a cup. Okay. So probably more like half a cup. Cause it's, it's like, I mean, you don't want too much sauce. Otherwise it turns into soup. But the sauce is delicious. It is. And to finish the sauce, you, you dust the surface with dashi. Mm. So I I got some of this from Beach. It's um, how the hell do they make it? It's like bonito, plain fish, basically. The plain fish turned into granules. Yeah, basically, bonito is like this dried, sa- very savory, strongly flavored fish. And like when you buy bonito flakes, basically they take like a wood planer and like and like get these incredibly micro thin bits of it. I'm trying to remember if they if that's what uh, they use that as something. In dashi, I really wish Beach was here because he could explain it so much better. Because you like, can just buy dashi, though, right? Yeah, it's a it's a sort of a soup, it's fishy powder, umami enhancer, stuff. umami enhancer, umami intensifies. So you get a little bit of that on top, and then you simmer that for a bit, and then you throw in some chicken, which you 
cooked previously. Um, and then you uh, pour one, uh, I wanted to say whipped, um, beaten egg on top of it. And you just cook it like an omelet. Mm. And you throw that on top of some rice. Nice. And it's like, so it's basically oh. like liquid and chicken and onions and an egg. And it's all done in one pot. Yep. It, look, it looks horrendous. But it smells so good, and it tastes delicious. Do you think you could, if, well, I guess if you're, if you're a vegetarian, you'd have to leave out the dashi. And put, could you and substitute, but you could substitute tofu. Yeah, no, t- I think this would work fine with tofu. I think I, I was desperate one time and did it with cheese instead of chicken. <laughs> How was it? It was fine. I mean, it was a little weird, but. Or you could just do a yari don. What's a yari don? It would be like vegetables. Yeah, no, I, I think you could substitute just about anything with that. Because the flavor comes from the sauce, yep. not necessarily the ingredients, right? So is the chicken that's Did been they? cooked ahead of time, is it breaded, is it fried, is it like, uh, how I do you just, prepare it? I just fry it with salt and pepper. In another pan? Yeah, in another pan. It's really bog standard. I just brown it a little bit on the outside and then like chop it into pieces. There you go. And that's oyakudon. Yep. Cam, do you have any go-to deliciousness? Uh, well, there's a soup I like to make in the summer. Oh, um, yeah. That's really summer good. Summer soup. Yeah. And it's served cold, so it's really nice on a Is it watercress? No, no. You, you've had it before, actually. Um, and it's like a, um, a kale avocado soup that's garlicky and lemony Ooh. with a lot of dill and parsley. And it's just, it's kind of thick and ice cold and delicious and savory. Um, so how do you make it? Well, what you do is you take about a handful, this many cashews, and you soak them in water. Sorry, people who are listening. Um, A handful is probably half a cup. Yeah, half a cup of cashews, uh, unroasted, unsalted cashews, and soak them in water. Just cover them in water and then come back in an hour. Um, Just to soften them up a little bit? Yeah, you take that, and you pour off the water, and you throw it in a blender. You add the juice of two lemons. Wait, you you take the the, the cashews you throw in the blender, or the water from the cashews? No, you you get rid of the water. Okay. um, Usually because it's a bit dusty and oily from uh, cashew runoff, and the cashews have absorbed all the water. Mm. Uh, You add the juice of two lemons, four or five cloves of, of garlic. Mm-hmm. And depending on how good your your blender is, you can either chop them up beforehand or you know throw them in whole. Um, Not everybody has a Vitamix. Yeah. Uh, uh, what else? Um, a handful of fresh dill, mm. like a good handful of it. Lots of dill. Um, Fist of dill. Yeah. Soy sauce. Um, lots of pepper. Um, what else goes into it at this point? Uh, this you, is your soup you base. You mentioned that you're avocado. Uh, that that, that goes in later. Uh. Um, so you blend that together until it's smooth. You add a bit of water, but the juice of two lemons should should provide enough liquid. What to, sort of consistency are we talking? Are we talking like, um, like the, is it thick or is it more like, uh, uh, it, like a? Hmm. I'm trying to think of a food analog here. Is it thick like a like a runny yogurt? Yeah. No, well, no, no. It's thinner than that. It 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 it, it is definitely a liquid. Mm. Um, so creamy. Yeah, basically, yeah, creamy would be a good eggnog like. Okay, eggnog like, perfect. Yeah. Um, so basically, you want to play around with that a little bit. And add water. It's very easy to compensate for things. You just don't want it to be too liquidy because you can't remove water. But you'll be adding more stuff to it later. Um, at this point, you take another like good two handfuls of fresh parsley, mm-hmm. chop it up, add it in. 
Um, an entire avocado added in, minus the pit, obviously. Um, I like to add uh, a couple of handfuls of spinach, um, a couple of handfuls of kale, lots of kale. Kale is really good in this. Um, and if you're worried about the bitterness of kale, you don't have to worry about it because all the other flavors kind of come together and, and knead it out a little do bit. You, um, um, do you take the ribs out of the kale? Uh, no. Really? Yeah, the stalks go into it. Again, it depends on the quality of your blender, but they have um, a nice flavor that's distinct from that of the leaves. Mm. Again, also the stalks, the parsley, have a subtly different flavor. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just that I know a lot of people uh, take like the like the thick like stalks. Like mm-hmm. they basically, if you take a leaf of kale, most all I've seen a lot of people they flatten it out basically and take a V shape and take out most of the stem, the stem mm-hmm. because it's very, it's uh, it's very tough. But yeah. this kind of just gets obliterated by the blender, turns yeah. into more fiber. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, depending on the quality of your blender, you want to chop things up like finally mm-hmm. before you throw it in. If you don't have a Vitamix that's powered by like a 747 engine, <laughs> well, you don't have a Vitamix that's powered by a 747 engine. Like you just have like a regular blender. Yeah, don't I have you? a regular like. I don't know, grocery, not grocery store, but so like you hit, you hit the afterburner for about 30 seconds. Yeah. And it dumps raw fuel into it. Um, <laughs> into the turbine. Uh, so, and then half of a cucumber hmm. is also really good in this. Um, so there's been Any dill, particular parsley, kind? cucumber, uh, an English cucumber, seedless mm. preferably, um, because they're, they're, they're not as bitter. Um, I like a good handful of nutritional yeast, mm. um, because I find it. What the it, hell it, is that? i never heard yeast. of it. It's like uh, yellowy flakes. It's a vegan substitute generally for Parmesan cheese. It has the same kind of like umami flavor. Um, We're going to have else? to explain umami at some point. Umami is, yeah, uh, we can go back to that. Yeah. Uh, what else goes into it? Cucumber, kale, spinach, avocado, dill, parsley, lemons, garlic, cashews. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, and it is. I'd try it. Yeah, it, it kind of has, um, it, it, it's a bit like tzatziki, but it's not as potent, right? Right, it, tzatziki it, is it super sounds garlicky. like a green tzatziki. Yeah, a bit. Um, but it's a little waterier, so you can, like, just sip it. Yeah, well, I mean, like... I yeah, you don't really want to just, like, mow on tzatziki. No, no, but, like, if you like tzatziki and... Ooh. Yeah, you want something less so that you could just eat. Mm, this these. is a good version of it. I, I made it at the cabin last year. And it was very popular. I was not there. Mm-hmm. Um, you were there last year. No. I was in at the trivia contest the year before last. The, the year before last, yes. You were there last year, though. Well, I was there this year. I was... Okay. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember the soup at all. Okay. Anyhow. Yeah. So it's good. I've had Cam's this at like a... Su- soup. I, 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 I've had this at a summer party you brought, though. Yeah. And it was really good. It's, like, really good in the summertime when it's, like, hot and it's just crisp and refreshing. Mm-hmm. But also, like, filling and rich, which is nice. Yeah. No, it's got a very, very robust body to what it. A paradox. Um, if you're not a huge fan of garlic, you might want to cut down the amount of garlic in it. Mm-hmm. Because the garlic doesn't is, like garlic? I know some I mean, people who don't like garlic. Also, yeah, it's, it's... Commies. It's raw garlic, so... So it's much stronger. Ooh. Yeah, like, the, the flavor can be very sharp. So, like, you want to monitor this, but... Um, th- remember that the, the, the spinach does cut everything down quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and cucumber would as well, too. Yeah, the cucumber softens it quite a bit. Um, and it's like this beautiful, rich, vibrant green when it's... Yeah, I was going to say, this must have like an exquisite swatch on it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a jade green. Ooh. 
uh, and you just crack a lot of pepper on top of it, maybe a bit of salt. If you're not vegetarian, you can add lean parents, which is very good in it. Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce is vegetarian, though, isn't it? No, it's not. It has anchovies. Oh, that's what gives it its flavor. Mm-hmm. Well, part of it. <laughs> yeah. um, that and the gunpowder and nitrates. And the vinegar. And nitrotes. <laughs> yeah, nitrates. <laughs> nitrates. Nitro- nitrites. <laughs> um... <laughs> Is there anything else that goes into it? Love. No, it's it, it. It takes about half an hour to make, and then you just throw it in the fridge for about an hour, in a pickle jar or something. Oh, that's the other part—a pickle, a dill pickle. Oh, really? Even yeah. with all the dill you're putting in? Yep. The vinegar is nice. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Uh, I also put in uh, sea greens, which are just like dried seaweed. Oh, I hate that. I can't stand dulls. But I think in the in the context of this, it gets overwhelmed a little bit. Yeah. You won't even taste it. Well, I mean, you probably get the saltiness and the savoriness yeah. off it. Yeah. Speaking of, what's umami? Okay. So umami is a Japanese word that means the fifth taste, basically, is what it's referred to. So it f- doesn't actually mean the, the fifth taste. The four existing ones They're, are... Well, the four that we think of that we got taught in school are probably sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. But umami is like meatiness, savoriness, richness... Like that is kind of how people like it's the it's usually the th- the flavor profile you get from meat or uh, like soy sauce or Lian Perrin's is a good uh, way to impart an umami flavor to things because it's very rich and yeah, I mean, proteiny it, almost it's salty, but there's something else there too. Yeah. yeah, well, MSG is kind of another iconic umami flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, think of the flavor that you get from like an Alfredo sauce. That doesn't really trigger umami to me. Really? No. Okay. Uh, like HP sauce sounds kind of umami to me. Well, like Alfredo sauce is mm. like rich and creamy, and but not necessarily like cheesy, right? Because there's a little bit of cheese, like a fresh grated Parmesan, a lot in, of it. in it. Cheese in there, isn't there? Traditional Alfredo sauce is cream and butter and then a, like a third of a cup of cheese. No shit. Yeah. It's mostly just cream and butter that gives it its delicious flavor. Huh. Um, but yeah. So well, anyhow, umami is a diff- difficult flavor to describe. As you can see, Cam and I disagree on what flavors trigger it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my recipe is, a, is an umami it's an umami bomb. I will tell you how to make shepherd's pie from scratch. It's very I just easy. imagine somebody like rubbing it into their skin. It's like, mmm, taste me. So, if you want to make shepherd's pie from scratch, it's very, very simple. It's very, very cheap, too. And there are two options. Uh, If you are a vegetarian, you'll have to leave out a few of these ingredients. But if you are not a vegetarian, uh, take two pounds of ground beef and fry it up. Or lamb. Lamb. Uh, Lamb's expensive, though. Mm -hmm. So, I don't make mine with lamb because I can't afford it. Um, Lamb's also really fatty. Uh, So, if you are wanting to use uh, lamb... You probably want to use a mix of beef and lamb, like, say, half and half. But you will have to drain the fuck out of that lamb because it's so fatty. Um, a little bit of fat's probably good. Like, if you're using lean ground beef like I do, you can probably just leave most of the fat in there. Like, take out, like, a tablespoon is typically how I do it. And just leave whatever else is in there for the noms. Uh, but, uh, so you take two pounds of ground beef or a pound of ground beef and a pound, pound of lamb. Or if you're a vegetarian... You can skip this step entirely. Ground and round? Ground round and refried beans. Oh, refritos. 
and then you can just basically mix ground round and refried beans together. The refried beans give it like a like that soupy, good consistency flavor. You put in a little a uh, little bit of water to make it a little runnier, and then you mix in your vegetables and stuff, and then you just top it with uh, with um, uh, potatoes and throw it in the oven and bake it. Taters. And it is really easy to make vegetarian shepherd's pie. Basically, you don't want it to be like super thick and goopy, but a, but mostly goopy. So, uh, but if you're making the meatitarian kind, take uh, two pounds of ground beef and cook it. Take off most of the fat. Then take, and then once it's mostly cooked, add a cup of beef stock, maybe a cup and a half, depending on how much how much you want. You want it to be like basically like you want water to cover. Most of the beef, like you want it to be like goopy. Um, and then uh, you can either add beef stock or a beef bouillon cube if you do not have Maybe stock on hand. Maybe this is a stupid question, but is artificial beef flavored vegetarian? Uh, you can actually buy vegetarian beef and chicken stock. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually prefer that kind. That's the kind I always buy and keep on hand because if I am making like food and I do have vegetarians coming over, I can still use like a chicken stock to like make a soup or something taste a lot richer. So yeah, so you can totally buy that. Anyhow, uh, so then you take that and then you add a bunch of Liam parents to it, which is delicious. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm talking probably like a tablespoon, but like several good shakes is always how I do it. And then I taste this and I'm like, that tastes like beef and it tastes like umami and it's rich and it's great. And then I shit you not, this is not perhaps the most traditional shepherd's pie but it is incredibly cheap and easy to prepare Uh because you take those bags of like frozen chopped vegetables like the peas the beans the carrots and the corn oh and then you add half of that so it's just chock a block full of vegetables dang yeah and then while you're doing this you're like boiling potatoes and getting ready to mash them up but that's another step and then you take all that and then there's two ways of you can thicken sauces. You can thicken, uh, you can thicken sauces using like a roux. But you don't want to use a roux because you don't want to make like a rich sort of floury sauce. Roux are okay when you make them with water, but they're not the best. And you can do something much faster. And this is how they thicken a lot of Chinese food cuisine. So, and you're, a lot of this water is going to start to cook down because you're like simmering the, veg- the frozen vegetables together so they're cooked a little bit. And then, you know, cooking off some of the stock and making sort of it reduces while you're doing all this. And you're not adding a ton of water anyhow. So what you do is you get some cornstarch, about two tablespoons, mix it with some cold water, whisk it together so there's no lumps, turn up your heat to high so your beef, vegetable water mix is just boiling away add the cornstarch and stir like a motherfucker and it'll thicken up in about 30 seconds this is something i think i screwed up you add the powder to the water not the other way around no you don't add the powder to anything what you do or i guess you do but you have your pot of food that's cooking Uh you take a glass like a drinking glass or a small bowl or something yeah you add your cornstarch to that you add cold water to that, that bowl or glass or whatever, okay. and then you whisk that together so you're left with a white liquid. And then you take that white liquid, and then you dump it into your hot liquid. And then you stir the hot liquid to incorporate uh. the white liquid, and immediately your liquid, like your, the hot liquid you've stirred it into, will, st- will go cloudy and thicken. Maybe I didn't use cold water last time, because I had a you hell of a time getting the lumps water. out. Yes, you have to use cold water or it'll go lumpy because it's the cornstarch is sort of like the the heat, which is why you want it briskly boiling when you uh, when you do it. The heat is what sort of spreads the starch around and like 
uh, causes it to thicken up. And so then you've done that. You've got kind of this hot, sort of thick, gloopy thing. And you put it to the side. Finish your potatoes. Pour that into a pan. It's already all cooked. Your potatoes are already all cooked. So you put a bunch of potatoes on top, put some paprika on top of those, and you put them in the oven for like... I put it in the oven for like five minutes at 350 and then turn on the broiler so it's all warm on top and like has the brown bits and that's done. You're done. That is shepherd's pie. Not traditional, but cheap and easy and delicious. Mm. And then if you taste it and you're like, this doesn't have enough flavor. Now that I've added all of my frozen vegetables, you can add a little bit more um, lean parents or a little bit more uh, beef stock or something like that. So... Uh, and like I said, there's no, you don't need to buy beef stock. You can just uh, mix up a bouillon cube in water and get it warm ahead of time. Shepherd's pie. I'm very cheap. Like it's not traditional, but, I'm, but it's cheap and it's good and it's very filling. You have like, a, like, a, like an eighth of the pen and you're like, oh, I'm full. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Well, what's, it, what's some of the things that you like having made for you? Things that you would maybe not necessarily even deign to try cooking yourself, but you'd like. Croissants. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Any kind of good baked good. There's no point in me doing it because it's going to be too expensive and not as good as I want. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just like buying the ingredients for croissants. Like, unless you're baking them on scale, forget it. Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to make ramen, like proper ramen, but it seems like such a gigantic pain in the ass. Oh, like, like, like making we're talking the broth. about like days set aside just for this like soup. Mm. And I could just go up on the hill to Kuma and get some really, really good uh, ramen. That place is so good and it's ruined me on every other ramen in town because mm. nothing compares to it. Mm -hmm. It's weird. And if well, you've never unlucky. had actual, like, legitimate, authentic Japanese style ramen, I suggest you do. If you're a vegetarian, don't worry about it. Uh,. You can get vegetarian ramen, but it's... How common would you say finding a vegetarian ramen restaurant is, Cam? I have not. I've seen... that. We're still looking. Well, I've seen one in Austin. In Austin, Texas. Okay. But, oh. like, so I say I've seen... Like, I have, I have seen it, and, like... But I was wondering if you had personally come across one. No, and it's difficult to ask a lot of the time because in Asian cuisine saying I don't eat meat has a different connotation than it does in Western cuisine uh -huh. because they do not think of things like meat broth like a beef broth as being a meat ingredient right whereas it just refers to flesh like well there's no meat in this just yeah. beef beef stock and tendon yeah and, right that's not like a lot yeah. of the the meat adjacent thing meat products are mm -hmm. not meat right they're not the actual yeah. like physical right interesting that's like going it's to like, like oh, oh you don't want to chop yeah but we'll oh give fine. you this like i know meat flavored meat sauce with meat shavings in yeah it. like this the translation isn't quite precise it's like saying i i don't eat steak and they're like okay you can have any of these here's some consomme things yeah with yeah. bacon bits mm -hmm. well i know that like in some in like when you're traveling through eastern europe you're like oh, i don't eat meat they're like okay we have sausages then it's fine yeah <laughs> Uh, my friend Lindsay uh, oh. traveled all over the world and is a vegetarian, and uh, uh, but is also pragmatic and found she was fine in Eastern Europe. But when she got to Southeast Asia, the language barrier and just you know trying to explain to people that she just had to be like, sometimes I'm pre, I'm like 98% sure I was just eating chicken broth, but what am I going to do about it? Right, like I need to eat. I'm in a small town in rural Vietnam, mm -hmm. right. 
I will, uh, fingers crossed. So no, I hope I don't get sick. So yeah. Um, let's see what else, what do I not want to eat? What do I, what do I not want to cook at home? Any kind of like dessert stuff. There's, yeah, there's a lot of pretty elaborate bake. desserts. I don't bake at all. I don't like it very Although much. Although some things are surprisingly not as hard as uh, as they might seem, which has just reminded me that I need to get Kim to make some ice cream this summer. Oh. Because she made it last year, and, well, we made pina colada ice cream, and Ooh. it was Did really... Did she use, like, real coconut cream? Really? Did, was really it like, good. Did you do the thing where you, you, you beat egg yolks with sugar to make like a custard or was it i didn't watch that part of the process but we used a real coconut and Mm. i think we used a real pineapple too Mm. it was oh fuck it was so good uh tally's made ice cream before she made like rose water and pistachio ice cream apparently ice cream is actually not hard to make it's just a little time consuming yeah Mm -hmm. because when you want ice cream you want it now not in two hours (laughs) or like a day yeah a day because it's gotta set up ice cream Exactly. I just want a blizzard. Yeah. Um, actually, the one pastry I have made before is a quiche, mm. which was nice. What, I, did I you guess, make the pastry from scratch yeah. and everything? Nice. Mm-hmm. Rolled it out with a wine bottle because, as I discovered, my place does not have a rolling pin. Um, so that was a fun discovery to make because I was sure it had one. I don't know. A wine bottle seems pretty tech. Yeah. That well, seems clutch. It sounds yeah. like sort of like ye World War Two tech. Yeah. It's like, well, they bombed our kitchen. We still have to make this stuff, so... Yeah. Wine bottles. I had to roll out the, the pastry with a Mosin Nagant. Yeah, and then, and then you cut the bottom off and you make a shape charge out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, That's not how shape charges work. It actually is. But it is how pastry works, so be careful. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but yeah, no, it worked out quite nicely. It was just like this little tart mm. of achy goodness with leeks. Mm-hmm. If you want, if, you, if you're ever feeling like you are wanting delicious food, but you are not prepared to like go the full pie route you can make a galette i used to make this all the time but i stopped because i was it was making me it was making me put on weight but i uh, galette precious a a galette is amazing it's a french thing it's basically uh, a rough pie and you can make i always made it with an olive oil pastry because it was a little like flavor it was flavorful and stuff and so basically you take some pastry and you put it out on a baking sheet uh, and then you brush it with some butter. And then you put in, like, fruit. Like, thinly sliced apples, thinly sliced pears, strawberries, cherries, whatever you have to ha- happen to have around. Put a little bit of sugar on top of that. And then fold your pastry sort of roughly around the edges so it's like a flat, ugly pie. And then you put that in the oven. And then the juices from the uh, from the fruit come out and then like cook into the pastry a little Whoa. bit. And the pastry gets really crispy. Obviously, when you roll the edges back around, you want to do more egg yolk. And then some, some coarse ground sugar or just sugar oh. on top. And it cooks in like 20 minutes because there's not like this whole pie infrastructure. It's not very deep. Oh, right. but it's, it's so like, good. It's like a shallow dish pie. It's like a shallow pie. And it's really good. Gorilla pie. Or I, a pop tart. A pop tart. It's the nicest Pop-Tart you'll ever eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wow. Let's see. This is making me hungry again. I know. So, okay. Here's the, what's the one thing you will never order at a restaurant because you know that you could make it at home for almost nothing? Uh, I kind of feel that way about gyoza, mm. but that's just because you can just buy them and they cost pennies mm. and at a restaurant it's like five bucks. And mm. I, was, I, I feel like an idiot 
getting it now that I know how to make them at home. I've never made them from scratch, but it's just like the store-bought gyoza are not even that bad. And it's probably the same thing. Oh, almost certainly. Mm-hmm. Cam, what about you? What's the one thing you're like, I'm not paying for that at a restaurant? <laughs> Maybe I only have this thought because I'm such a cheap motherfucker. <laughs> I'm trying to think. What can't I make? Or what, what can I make? That, really easily. Um, come back to me. I'm going to say pancakes. I will, you will never see me ordering pancakes at a restaurant. Because it's the first thing my dad taught me how to make. When he was like, you need to learn how to cook for yourself. You're 14. You, these are good life skills to have. And he taught me how to make pancakes. You know, I think I might feel the same way. I mean, it's been f- ages since I had pancakes. But I think, like, make-at-home pancakes are really good. They are so good and they are so easy. And, and if you're thinking, oh, I'll just buy a box of Aunt Jemima, you don't even need to do that. Here's what you do. You take... One cup of flour, which will make a fuck ton of pancakes for you and friends. So you take a cup of flour. You add a quarter teaspoon of salt. Not very much salt, but a little bit of salt. Then you add about two teaspoons of baking powder. Powder, not soda, right? Powder. You don't need the baking soda. Um, Baking soda and baking powder have very different uses. Yeah, you don't Uh, want to screw that one up. Baking soda... Uh, well, I mean, baking soda, you typically add to like chocolate chip cookies. Baking powder tends to make things rise more. It's basically the, a two in one baking powder is baking soda with the activator added to it. So all you need to do to activate baking powder is add, uh, water or in this case, milk and egg. So then you set that aside, you whisk all that together. And then in another container, you take two eggs and you take milk. I'm going to say a third of cup to a half of a cup and then you whisk all that together then you get your griddle hot and you pour the milk and the eggs into the pancakes and you mix it up and if you're thinking this looks a little thick i want like thinner larger pancakes rather than like silver dollars yeah you can add a little bit more milk to change the consistency the only thing is you don't want to like be like mix up your pancake batter till you've like obliterated every single lump you'll get most of them just by like mixing it together but the longer you mix it together um the longer you give the baking powder a chance to sit and either your pancakes won't rise as much so you don't need to overboard it's not like you know some batters where the more you mix them the tougher they'll get and like you won't have that chewy elasticity you just don't want this sitting around forever uh crepe batter is different because you don't want a lot of reaction and rising but the more you beat this the more it sits around and the less fluffy and rich and bubbly your pancakes will get this is my own personal uh report for you don't need to make pancake batter perfect and thin well if you want to add chocolate chips or fruit you can do that at this stage and then you pour it into a pan and make it like that's pancakes it's so simple oh sorry and i forgot the one ingredient about a third of a cup of sugar Oh, you yeah. want to add a little sugar to your pancakes. Like... But I find commercial pancake mix is way too sweet. Especially if you're already, if you're then going to mix in like fruit or chocolate chips, and you don't then... need to make this sweet. And then cover it in syrup. Yeah, cover it in syrup. Mm-hmm. Like pancakes don't need to be sweet at all. Butter syrup. Yeah. Um, I actually remembered what I never order when I go to a restaurant because it usually leads to disappointment, which is an omelet. Oh, mm. yeah. Brunch is a big thing in Victoria with. I don't know. E- everywhere brunch is a new thing, um, but white yeah. people brunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, omelets suck in restaurants. They're never cooked properly. The ingredients are never right, um, and I can make a really good one at home. Yeah, I was gonna say like it seems like the kind of thing that is probably easy to throw together, and so it is thrown together mm-hmm. in a restaurant. It's just like, Bleh. well, yeah, you, fuck you, it. You usually get order like, up. Uh, 
like a steel insert that's just full of whipped eggs that have been sitting for a couple of hours. Uh. And so the, 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 the proteins have broken down and they're very watery and it's just ladled out onto a grill or into a pan with a lot of oil. And then a handful of ingredients are thrown on top of it. Yeah, and you and get it's, and then it's folded over. Yeah, and I can do it so much better. Oh, what? Uh, pray tell secret omelet tech. Uh, don't over whip the egg. Um, what do you add to the eggs? Nothing. Just water. No, not even. Just, just like. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, you, you don't. God you, intended. You, you whip them together until they're 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 foamy, in my experience. Um, mm-hmm. But not, not, for very long. I guess you want a violent whipping rather than a long one. Um, shorten to the point. Yeah, shorten to the point. Uh, at least that's that's what I found. And then, like, God, I can't even describe how to do it. I guess this is my father's frustration with trying to describe how to cook. Um, I don't know. I you Sort of wail it in there. Yeah, I always find that restaurant ones are runny in the middle, and that actually... Re- like makes me almost nauseous. I hate undercooked egg. Um, yeah. That's another thing that puts me off eggs. It's just like if they're in any way undercooked, it's just like, yeah. I'm gonna vomit. Yeah, that's why I'm also really sketchy with, or, or very particular about like Donbury bowls. Because if they, they do the, um, the, the egg omelet. Yeah. And it's almost always runny. Mm. <laughs> I hate it. Um, so so do you so you take your egg and you put mm-hmm. it in a pan. Is there butter in the pan? A uh, little bit of oil or butter, yeah. Okay, um, but usually it's nonstick, and then I I just let it cook, and it gets nice and brown. Well, like at what point? Like there's like when you're cooking a pancake, for mm-hmm. example, you can tell that it's about time to flip because bubbles will come to the surface and start to pop and won't immediately fill back in. Yeah, which shows you that the sort of the it's it's congealed under the heat enough together that yeah. there's a good brownness. What is like See, the, the thing that you look for when you're like I can flip this omelet? Um, basically, uh, you know, you, you'll be doing kind of a light gold panning motion with the pan mm-hmm. for most of this to get like the liquid egg up around the edge of the pan where it can cook and um generally I, I don't like doing the thing where you're scraping towards the center of the pan all the time to introduce new egg and, and cook it through because i find that leads to a very uneven surface mm. and like I, I like a very even brown homogenous surface to my omelet so um basically like i'm in a position of constantly monitoring it and checking under it um, like so, do you just flip it up with a, like a heat-proof spatula? Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you add your your fillings, which you know might need to be steamed before and chopped up very fine, because you don't want a lump, lumpy omelet. And then you you fold it over, usually with a little cheese, in order to to seal it shut. Um, and then you continue to cook it side to side. So you like mm-hmm. so so you have your omelet and you're sufficiently happy with the brownness on the bottom. So then you add your fillings and add some cheese, fold it over top. Mm-hmm. And then the real trick is to fold it over top without breaking the spine of it. Right. So it can't be like... That's it, the part I That just sounds like experience. With. Yeah, yes. it is. And it's difficult to describe. I don't even really intellectually recognize what the signs are for when it's fully cooked or when it's correctly ready to be filled. You need to align your cheese. Well, like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're lifting it up with a spatula, here's the thing. I know how to cook an omelet. I'm just not very good at it because I don't like omelets very much. So I almost never do it. And I always like fuck up on the flip mm-hmm. of like getting it over. 
um, because I am clumsy. But like when you're moving around with like a heat proof spatula, which is a fantastic tool to have if you want to learn how to cook at all, because you can check on all sorts of things. Just a silicone one. They're cheap now. Mm -hmm. And it comes up easily. And it seems to have some flex into it because the proteins have all locked together. Is that a good point, do you think? Uh, Yeah. Where it seems to hold together as you move it around? Yeah, it it just needs enough enough structure to hold together because otherwise it will it'll rip at the end mm. um, and then you're you you will disembowel your omelet also like <laughs> so know, so breakfast. once you've got to fold it over and then how long do you cook it for um until it's done until the 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 egg is cooked on the interior uh, and you can usually tell from its springiness mm, okay so when you like push it, cooking it springs term back. when it's done yeah because it's like well so how do you so do you f- once it's folded over do you flip the folded omelet at all oh, in the oh yes yeah yeah you want to maintain heat because overcooked eggs are terrible. Right. Um, so you don't want to just flip it over and say, I'm done. No. Eggs no, are just like threading a needle, aren't they? A little bit, yeah. Um, also, I, I hate the way restaurants do toast. It's oh. never proper. Oh, brown. God. It's always like just barely, barely you know, warm. I mean, this is drowned in butter. This maybe doesn't even count, but you know who does the worst goddamn toast? Who? Tim Hortons. Yeah. With their bagels. Oh, yeah. Where it's just like. The rim is burnt toasted. on the outside and raw in the middle. It's yeah. just like this is garbage. Yeah. Can I tell you my secret thing that I do when I need to make when I want to make like an omelet or an omelet style breakfast for a bunch of people and I don't like flipping omelets? Okay. This is the cheater omelet. So you take and this is good because I it's more of a frittata really, but it doesn't have potatoes in it. Um, and uh, all you do take your egg mixture and put it in your pan basically the same deal except i do it in a really big pan like i have a cast iron pan that i really like and uh once it's like done on the bottom which is the same kind of you know generally like experimentally poking up the sides and making sure it seems to be like browning and holding together and you're happy with it and it's sort of starting to cook in the middle and the top throw in your finely chopped ingredients throw on your cheese let it cook for a couple seconds will you bring your broiler up to high Mm-hmm. And then toast the top. And it's not a very traditional omelet, and I'm sure Cam is appalled, but it gets mm-hmm. all puffy. It gets fluffy, and then you serve it in wedges. So if you need to make omelets for like four or five, six people, the best. And as long as you have a good non non-stick surface, you should be able to just like cut it carefully, pop it out, serve it, side of toast. Cray. Why would I be appalled? <laughs> I don't know, because it's not it is barely it's not that's not technically an omelet. It's some sort of frittata beast thing well, but i'm a stickler for tradition i am a fence well basically i i started doing that because i was like i am shit at making omelets i hate making omelets fuck it i've got I, I will come up with a better way of making the same thing and so if you if i ever serve you an omelet that's exactly what i will serve you is my is my beast my beast oven hybrid thing and my abomination <laughs> my omeletation omeletation well a bomb omelet that was delicious. So I hope we inspired you to cook something. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this was an interesting podcast. Yeah. So. If you tried out any of your recipes, let us know. You can either ping us on the forum or let us know on Twitter. Alex is? Uh, 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 gee, wow. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Alex Stacy. Okay. Cam, what's yours? At Unarmed Oracle. I'm Kathleen LRR. Let us know what you thought of these recipes or if you have any uh, measurement clarifications or anything like that. Uh, you can ping us there or on the forums and uh, let us know if you enjoyed eating that delicious, delicious food. 
Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.